The four Zeras, sitting on top of trash bags, handcuffed and bruised, had to have known they were most likely going to die at the hands of La Barbie. Edgar Valdez Villarreal, aka La Barbie, was an American narco that rose through the ranks of the Beltran Leyva cartel to become one of the most infamous American traffickers in recent times. A savage killer, a cocaine trafficker, and leader of a ruthless group of gunmen. He waged war for the Sinaloa cartel, and later on, he went to war against his former partners. Barbie is from Laredo, Texas, a suburban high school football player from small town Texas. Doesn't sound like a classic criminal upbringing, but it's where his story begins, or at least his criminal history. By all accounts, Barbie grew up in a normal, loving household. His parents were hardworking, but the family did struggle from time to time. He got his nickname Barbie from his high school football coach who noticed a Mexican-American student looked more like a white boy. And with his short curly hair, he reminded the coach of a Ken doll. His teammates upped the ante when they started calling him Barbie. In high school, Barbie and friends would sometimes cattle rustle and sell the cows to the highest bidder a couple towns over. It was during this time that he began to cross the border more often to hang out at Nuevo Laredo bars. He also began to sell pie in school. On certain nights, after a football game, Barbie would drive his Chevy through desolate roads, only to reach nothing but desert. He liked the solitude sometimes. After high school, Barbie briefly attended college, but soon dropped out. By age 20, he was smuggling and dealing marijuana. Not much, but enough to splurge on his partying. He quickly moved into cocaine. His first coke shipments to dealers in the Midwest were shipped using FedEx. By 1998, he had a family of his own with his high school sweetheart Virginia, and his marijuana business was growing. That is until the government turned one of Barbie's smugglers. This guy single-handedly took down Barbie's entire crew. But even without the snitch, a 700-pound shipment of marijuana en route to Houston was traced back to Barbie. He was done. Everyone was taken down, except Barbie. He was alerted to the coming raids and managed to escape into Mexico. Barbie went straight to Nuevo Laredo and through his contacts managed to carve out his own organization. It was 1999 and Barbie was paying around 60k a month in order to cross drug loads through Nuevo Laredo. At the time the plaza belonged to a veteran trafficker named Dionisio Garcia but better known as El Chacho. El Chacho was a decent plaza boss. He kept violence to a minimum and generally kept things smooth for independent traffickers like Barbie, who simply had to pay to operate. Those days were over by 2002. Mainly two things happened. First, the Gulf Cartel wanted Nuevo Laredo, but what cemented the decision to move against Los Chachos was the decision of Dionisio to switch allegiances to the Tijuana Cartel. The Chacho was tracked down to Monterrey, tortured and killed by Gulf Cartel hitmen in 2002. Barbie was angry about what the Gulf Cartel had done to his former associate. After El Chacho's death, Barbie and two other traffickers tried to restart the Chacho's gang. The small gang began smuggling drug shipments without paying the plaza tax to the Gulf Cartel. They felt they could get away with it since Ociel, the Gulf boss, was in prison. Barbie knew if the cartel bosses found out, he was done. So what did he do? He steals 900 kilos of Gulf Cartel Coke 
The cartel immediately puts a bounty on Barbie's head, so he left town before the Zeta hit squads could locate him. Before Chacho died, he introduced Barbie to a couple of brothers from Sinaloa. So Barbie headed down to Monterrey to meet with those brothers. He met with Arturo Beltran, the leader of the Beltran Leva Brothers faction. The Beltran brothers and the Chapo formed the Sinaloa cartel. And the cartel was moving against Los Zetas and the Gulf Cartel. They wanted Nuevo Laredo for themselves. Barbie exploited this and convinced Arturo to put him in command of Los Negros, his army of sicarios that were preparing to invade Nuevo Laredo and kill as many Zetas and Golfos as possible. Barbie was returning to Nuevo Laredo, but this time with 200 soldiers armed to the teeth and ready to start a war. It wouldn't be easy. The Gulf Cartel had twice the amount of pistoleros. For weeks, Gulf Cartel members and stash houses had been taken down by masked men who knew exactly where to find them. Then, in late August 2003, a call was received by a federal comandante stationed in a hotel with his men. A federal prosecutor was being chased by gunmen in black masks. The federal agents quickly raced to the area of the chase, where they confronted members of Los Negros, Barbie's gunmen. The massive hours-long shootout was the first major confrontation between police and cartel gunmen in Nuevo Laredo. Barbie would rent out hotel rooms for a dozen or so hitmen in a given zone and then sent them out at night to locate and kill Gulf Cartel members. And since the city police were in the pocket of Barbie's enemies, he killed them also. The war was heating up. At one point, Arturo went down to Mexico City to bribe a federal police comandante. The comandante sent one of his best men to Nuevo Laredo to protect Barbie from arrest. The agent was killed two months later by Gulf Cartel Sicarios. The killing soon began to make national headlines. Zeta commanders and Barbie had so much hate for each other. Each side had lost men in ever more gruesome ways. El Chapo at one point appeared at an upscale restaurant in Nuevo Laredo, the Gulf Cartel's turf. He arrived with 15 bodyguards armed with assault rifles. He ate in a back room for over two hours, paid the bill for everyone, and left through the back door. It was a statement meant to show the Gulf Cartel didn't have complete control of its own turf. Barbie spent half his time in Acapulco, a Beltran stronghold. It was there in 2005 that Barbie would usher in a new type of cartel tactic, the execution video. Juan Vizcarra was a former soldier and was now working as a security guard. At least, that's what he told his girlfriend Norma. Juan was in Acapulco with his girlfriend and her young daughter. Just an average family vacationing in the tropical resort. But the truth was that Juan was actually in town on a secret mission. He was in fact a Zeta cell leader. Juan arrived in town with other members to locate Barbie and kill him. The group of Zetas knew they were heading straight into the wolf's mouth, the home turf of the Beltran brothers. Juan was not so sure about this mission. He confessed to his girlfriend that he felt the group was being watched and that his fellow sicarios were taking risks. Juan knew the city's police force, state, and federal AFI agents were in the pocket of the Beltran brothers. If they were caught, the cops would most likely turn them over to Barbie. It was Sunday, a week after they arrived in Acapulco. Juan received a call at 7 in the morning. He was quiet during the call, only answering in quick one-word answers. A few minutes later, he told Norma his worst fears had come true. Nine members of his team were taken by corrupt AFI agents while they enjoyed themselves in the club. A short time later, Juan discovered two of his closest teammates were now missing. Juan and Norma grabbed their bags and ran out of the hotel. They stopped by a store to buy a calling card, when suddenly, three SUVs 
SUVs with tinted windows screeched to a stop. More than a dozen heavily armed AFI agents emerged and quickly grabbed the family, forcing them into the SUVs. They sped off into the hills of Acapulco. Juan and his family were taken to a safe house in an upscale neighborhood where Juan was beaten for hours along with three other Zetas. It turns out hotel staff had alerted Barbie's people to the large group of men that were from Tamaulipas with military style haircuts. Barbie videotaped the interrogation of the Zetas. He sent the tape to the Kitsap News Sun paper in Texas. The footage shows four Zetas bloody, handcuffed, and sitting on top of large plastic sheets. Barbie is heard off camera asking questions about their methods. At one point, Barbie asked Juan, And you? You killed my brother, didn't you? Before Juan could answer, Barbie pushed a barrel of a revolver to the side of his head and squeezed off a round. Norma and her daughter were set free the same day and given $92 for bus fare home. Soon after, the video went viral. But ultimately, Losetas were just a bit more than Barbie could handle. Their methods were more organized and more effective. And for the most part, the municipal police remained loyal to the Gulf Cartel and Zetas. The Gulf Cartel soon had the upper hand. The Sinaloan troops withdrew from Nuevo Laredo and Barbie traveled down to Acapulco. Barbie had shown Arturo he was capable of brutal violence towards anyone deemed an enemy. His position was cemented with Arturo and he was placed as boss of Los Pelones the armed wing of the Beltran brothers. At the same time, he was running his own trafficking organization. Barbie was estimated to be clearing around 150 million a year from operations in Atlanta, Memphis, and New York. For two years, Barbie and the Sinaloa cartel went on with business as usual. A packed Sinaloa reigned for the time being. But in 2008, the cartel took a heavy blow when Arturo's brother, Alfredo, better known by his nickname in Mochomo, which means ant, was captured by Mexican special forces. The Beltran brothers immediately suspected El Chapo of betrayal. Some say that El Chapo gave up Alfredo in exchange for his son's freedom. Another story goes that El Grande, a Beltran Leyva cartel leader, began badmouthing El Chapo to Arturo, hoping to shift blame to someone else after he failed to prevent the capture of the ant. Whatever the truth is, Arturo came to the conclusion that it was a setup and it was none other than El Chapo, who was the traitor. Arturo went to war with El Chapo and Mario Zambada. The civil war had begun, and it would be an especially brutal one. Chapo's own son would end up killed outside a mall by Beltran Leva gunman. Barbie by now was Arturo's chief of security in Acapulco. He held down the turf against El Chapo's gunman. Barbie helped Arturo bribe and kill, but secretly he was trying to work out a deal with the DEA. He realized he would end up dead, if not at the hands of his enemies, then possibly by Arturo himself, who was now a bloodthirsty coke addict. Barbie would later say, when Arturo was on drugs, he wanted to kill me, but when he was sober, he was great. Barbie's motive was also personal. Arturo had begun to work with Los Zetas, the same group that killed his brother Armando. And now here was Arturo making a deal with his sworn enemies. Barbie's men were dropping Chapo's gunmen and vice versa. The veterans were not afraid of a Chapo in Mayo. Word is that Arturo came close to killing Chapo on more than one occasion. It was an intelligence war as much as it was a street war, and both sides utilized corrupt politicians, military, and police commanders to locate and kill enemies. And what most people don't know about Barbie is that he was actually kidnapped by army special forces in 2008. This happens more often than people realize in Mexico. 
Several high-value traffickers have been caught only to buy their freedom on the spot by offering millions in cash to the arresting officers. He was kidnapped outside a club in Cancun and taken to a military base somewhere in Veracruz. The story goes that Barbie was tortured, gave up names of high-level Beltran Capo, security protocols, methods of operation, locations of safe houses, and most importantly, info on where to find El Mayo's brother, El Rey Zambada. Barbie also gave up names of federal prosecutors and federal police commanders on the cartel's payroll. In fact, his info led to a massive purge of the Attorney General's office. During this time, Barbie controlled certain sectors of Acapulco. He usually had tight security rings around himself and Arturo when the boss was in town. But on one particular day, AFI agents broke through Barbie's security outside his condo building. As the federal agents were breaking into Barbie's condo, he was scrambling down a back stairwell. He barely escaped with a backpack full of grenades and an MP5 submachine gun. Barbie ran to his motorbike parked outside and quickly fled the scene. Before the war had begun, Barbie had set his sights on the International Airport of Cancun. While excited American tourists were disembarking for a memorable vacation, 747s loaded with Sinaloa Cartel Coke landed at the same airport. But how could so many large planes land, unload suspicious packages, and then fly off without registering their presence at the airport? Simple. After a successful meeting with federal agents Rosales and Cervantes, Barbie and Arturo now had rights for one year to traffic as much coke through the airports of Cancun and Toluca. So how much does a one-year lease cost? Apparently $19 million for the two federal agents and their bosses. Also, in a situation that is common the world over, Rosales was hesitant at first. He tried to resist becoming a typical corrupt official. He needed convincing from Barbie to agree to let tons of coke through his airport. So at the meeting, Barbie charms the agent by insisting he has come up with the agent's new street name, El Buen Hombre, the good man. The nickname might have been a nice touch on Barbie's part, but what most likely convinced the federal agent to cooperate was the brand new BMW coupe and 65k Barbie handed over to the good man. But in a cold move, Elmayo Zambada contacted the federal agents involved in the scheme and made them agree to block any Beltran merchandise from landing at the airport. The two agents agreed, and just like that, an important route for funneling cocaine shipments was gone. This led to the two agents' assassination. A couple months later, by Beltran Leyva Sicarios, December 16, 2009, Mexican Special Forces located Arturo in a luxury condo tower. And after a huge shootout, Arturo, the boss of boxes, was dead. Almost immediately, the other Beltran brothers suspected Barbie of betrayal. Somehow, the Beltrans found out Barbie was communicating with the DEA and had most likely betrayed Arturo's location. Hector also found out during the confrontation, Arturo made several calls to Barbie for reinforcements. Barbie ignored his boss's commands and never sent anyone to help. Barbie had a new war on his hands. Hector Beltran reorganized his gunmen in Acapulco and branded the new outfit the Southern Pacific Cartel. Hector Beltran, the new leader of the Beltran Leva Cartel, immediately put a price on Barbie's head. This situation was familiar to Barbie. He was used to war and this was no different. He convinced two associates to back him against Hector. El Indio and El Charro joined Barbie. El Charro was Barbie's father-in-law and El Indio was a veteran trafficker. The three united and created a new clica, the independent cartel of Acapulco. Barbie was done with taking orders. He was now a true plaza boss. At first, Barbie and his gunmen held off the Beltran Leyva forces. 
they were fighting on three fronts, Acapulco, Cuernavaca, and the suburbs of Mexico City. And plazas were vital. The cities were sites of profitable tienditas. These tienditas serviced local drug sales and provided a steady cash flow. The war was brutal. Hector's gunmen frequently got into shootouts with Barbie's men in broad daylight. There was mass abductions, massacres, torture. Both sides committed horrible acts. The Beltran Leva mob proved to be better connected and had the money to bribe military commanders. These military units would then go out and raid Barbie's safe houses or kill his men in cold blood. Barbie moved constantly between houses in all three plazas. He hated not being able to go out to the club or fancy restaurants. He wanted to enjoy his wealth, but couldn't, at least not yet, not until Hector was defeated. He was a paranoid, worried man. The police seemed to be right on his tail. On one occasion, Afi agents raided one of Barbie's houses in Acapulco. He wasn't home at the time, but his second wife Priscilla was. The story goes that the Afi agents roughed up Priscilla and her mom. This scared and enraged Barbie. He contemplated turning himself in and possibly striking a deal with the U.S. government. Then one day, Barbie's assistant was tracked down in Mexico City by federal agents that intercepted his car. The agents forced a man to reveal Barbie's location when they told him they had already picked up his family earlier in the day. The man quickly gave up Barbie's location, a rustic mansion in the suburbs of Mexico City. On August 30th, 2010, federal agents surround Barbie's mansion. Inside, Barbie was protected by six bodyguards, but eventually, he gave himself up, realizing the hopeless situation. Edgar Valdez was eventually extradited to the U.S. In the end, Barbie had nothing of value to exchange for a lenient sentence. The crews he ran were either dead or in jail. His info was old and of no value. He agreed to pay the government $195 million dollars. The judge gave Barbie 49 years. After Barbie was taken down, his independent cartel of Acapulco fell into chaos. His lieutenants saw their opportunity and each began to take a piece of Acapulco for themselves. Within a year, Barbie's crew was no more. Edgar Valdez Villarreal. He rose through the ranks and waged war on behalf of the Sinaloa cartel. But when it fell into civil war, Barbie remained loyal to Arturo while at the same time trying to serve his boss to the gringos in exchange for a new life. He supplied infamous Memphis kingpin Craig Petty's, was responsible for hundreds of murders, inspired a craze for Ralph Lauren polo shirts, and spent 100k on the half-finished movie about his life. But that was La Barbie, a Texan that reached the highest levels of the Sinaloa cartel. This is Casquillo.